Gave a little clap for the NHS. Minimal thanks equivalent to maximum stress. Blood dripping off scrubs, the tears fused into sweats. Before our national treasures traded for American checks. We're just pawns in this global game of checkers and chess. Who's the puppet master when the strings are pulled by the feds? Accountability is apparently never up for discussion. We're up against the odds as long as the roulette is Russian. The Brexit is resigned to life as a pipe dreamer. Told my people to go home and now we're all in cabin fever. Streets filled with tracksuit trolls all escaping the hive. We're living this B-movie made catered for Channel 5. COVID-19 with 19 different symptoms that might seem precisely devised for silent majority silencing. A sign of strategizing is serious within the stats. And you people still believe this is all stemming from bats? Really? Stay home, stay safe, save lives. Salutations and welcome to another episode of The Native Immigrants. I'm your host, Swami Barakas, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jojo underscore B. What's going on, Jojo B? Hi. Now, this is a very, very different show to our normal show structure and how you've been hearing our show for the last three seasons. Uh, normally, right now, would be us basically bantering away about what's been happening in our lives in the past week mm -hmm. uh, and all the catastrophes that come with it. Yeah. But I feel today's show is a show that deserves a lot more respect. Yes, definitely. Um, because it's something that I know you and I have spoken about previously on shows in the past, uh -huh. but we haven't really tackled it in terms of a full show dedicated to this particular subject matter. Yeah. And with what's happening right now in the world, I feel it's more important than ever to highlight and show some love and support for what is probably the one thing this whole country can actually be proud of. It's the thing that I think makes Britain great. Yeah. Genuinely. Apart from all the colonizing and empiring that they've done across no, the world. Because that's not something that needs to be <laughs> bragged about anymore. This is the one thing that we can brag about as being a, what's the, well, how do you, how do you describe it? It's just the greatest thing that we have. And at the moment, the most important thing that we have to keep us going. Yeah. And getting us through what is, quite frankly, the shitty situation. Yeah, it is like the worst situation of our lifetimes potentially i think yeah like i said last week it's in the, our lifetimes our parents lifetimes it's like in i don't think any of us have ever known anything like this yeah yeah well hopefully for the rest of our lifetimes we won't get a chance to encounter anything like this again also um but we are living in the mire of it and we'd be in a lot more of a worse situation if it wasn't for the heroes of the NHS. And this show is dedicated to those people. And we are going to look at the people right on the front line 
the key workers, the doctors, the nurses, so many people that are saving lives every single day and sadly giving theirs for it. And we've I've spoken before about the NHS uh, on previous shows in our seasons. And, you know, I, I've always felt that it's something growing up in my life, I kind of almost took for granted that it was always there, you know, the the doctors and the nurses and, you know, they're just there to look after us and that's what they're paid to do. But the older you get and you realize the the gravity of their work and the, the situations that daily life puts themselves in, it's hugely immense. And I'm such in such gratitude and debt to to what they do day in, day out. And, you know, we're in a country where, you know, we pay our taxes to enable this to happen. You know, there's so many other countries where you have to pay for your healthcare. And I've just felt we're really, really lucky to have this. I didn't have to have much to do with the NHS, I don't think, growing up that much. I mean, I broke my arm once, but until I got pregnant... I didn't really, I'd never been in hospital, never stayed in hospital, never had to, really that much dealings with, yeah. you know, doctors, apart from, you know, going to the GP, like most people. But it was when I got really ill during the pregnancy that I really started to understand how many people it takes to keep things running. And, you know, the, the A&E waiting room where we used to have to go was yeah. always packed and just... How, you know they do, and they still greet you with a smile yes they still treat you i mean i only ever had good experiences with the people that we were with that we met when we were at the hospital you know through the pregnancy and when i um had my issues after we gave birth as well like that all i co- i couldn't thank the the midwives and the doctors and all the other staff you know the ones the ladies that come and take your take your blood, blood pressure pressures, and stuff yeah. and then stand and just have a chat with you to see how you're doing because yeah. they know that most of the time on those wards you're by yourself yeah and you know as as a new mom I was completely overwhelmed and in ridiculous pain the whole time mm. and so you know just having that five minutes of just general chit chat was really nice just to know what was going on in the outside world when I was in hospital for a week yeah that kind of thing so it just it made me really appreciate all those people who I work the longest hours for not very much money, yeah. not anywhere near enough money mm. and can still give the best care and still put a smile on their face and still do what they're supposed to do, but also beyond that as well. Yeah, it's um, it's when you have to almost put a smile on your face and kind of deal with things when when things can be at their most chaotic they get a lot of aggression and they get a lot of abuse, you know, an umpteen number of, you know, issues that happen within the confines of these hospitals and wards where you would literally lose all will. Um, I mean, I just don't understand how anyone could abuse the staff. These people are helping you for free. Yeah. This is not something that you need to pay for beyond paying for your taxes. When you go to the hospital, there is no insurance bill at the end of it yeah. like you would get in America. And yet the amount of abuse that this the staff have to deal with, especially in A&E, yeah. you know, Friday nights, Saturday nights with all the drunken lot, but just generally as well, yeah. it's just ridiculous. Yes, you get frustrated waiting there and you feel terrible and you think that you're more you're in a worse condition than somebody else, but you're not and you you will be seen to 
when they can fit you in. They're yeah. understaffed. They're underfunded. I think that, and I think that is the key key factor here. Um, the amount of cutbacks, financial cutbacks, the NHS has had over the course of umpteen number of years through this particular government um, is just disgraceful. And they put up with it um, year in, year out, um, and still tend to patients with, at bare minimums, <laughs> sometimes it feels like. Well, they're doing like double, triple shifts. Yeah. And it's just ridiculous. Like, these people are there to save your lives. And it's, the thought of having a tired doctor is scary. Yeah. But for them also, it's, I mean, imagine what it's doing to their own health. Yeah, it's not, exactly. It's not healthy for them to be working that way. And a lot of them are young doctors, are junior doctors that have just come out of uni or not long out of uni. Yeah. And, and are having to work these ridiculous hours, but they're doing it because they love that vocation. Yes. You cannot be a doctor or a nurse as like a time pass job. Mm. You are doing it because you love to help people. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I'll never understand when people give them abuse and are, you know, and when the press give doctors a hard time for going on strike to get better pay or shorter working hours, better working hours, and the same for nurses. Mm. You know, I will never understand that because they don't have to be doing that job, but they want to do that job. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So everyone that I think would have that would that is listening to this show would have some point in their life have to have gone to a hospital or to a doctor and and dealt with, you know, people working in the NHS. But for those that haven't, the NHS, Jyoti. Well, so a brief history. It was formed on the 5th of July, 1948. Mm -hmm. So it's nearly, what, 72 years old now? Uh, by a man called Nye Bevan. Okay. Um, and it was based on three main principles, which are still the main principles today. Right. There's a few more now. They've added a few more. But these are the, this is the basis. Three key principles, yeah. right. It uh, meets the needs of everybody. Mm -hmm. It is free at the point of delivery. Right. And it is based on clinical need, not on the ability to pay. Right. So the, the care that you get is the care that you need, yeah. not the care that you can afford. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um. And so they are the three main principles of the NHS that they still abide by today. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, as many of us know, it was built on the backs of the immigrants from the colonies. Yeah, absolutely. So you've got the Windrush generation, the nurses and the doctors from there, the doctors from the subcontinent and from Africa. You know, they, they're from the very, very beginning has been immigrants working within the NHS. Mm. Um. And, you know, and the system before that was that you had to pay to mm. see a doctor or to stay in hospital. And it quite often put people in debt, kept put whole families in debt and people ended up on the street. I mean, it's not dissimilar to what happens in America now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that was what we had before. And then the NHS came along to replace that post-war because they kind of had like a, a trial run during the war where right. they had emergency health care for everybody. Yeah. Um, and they realized that that actually was a basic right for everyone, that mm. everyone needed that. Yeah. Um, and so that's why it was a Labour government that brought it in okay. in 1948. Um, and also it is the second largest single payer healthcare system in the world after Brazil. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I didn't know. I thought yeah. it was the largest. Yeah, it's yeah, the second yeah. largest. It's, it's amazing that 70 years on, 
we're still living under those same principles and ethnic minorities still make up such a significant part of the workforce. Um, currently, Asian staff make up 10% of the overall workforce, black staff 6.1%, staff from other ethnic groups 2.3%, staff with mixed ethnicity 1.7%, and staff from the Chinese ethnic group are 0.6%. And if you split that down into medical and non-medical staff, mm. Asians make up 29.7% of medical staff. Wow. wow. And 8% of non-medical staff. Oh, wow. So we are a significant, significant number of yeah. medical staff in particular. Yeah, wow. And any number of times you go to hospitals, you know, you see ethnic minorities make up a great majority of the staff that work there. I think looking at the problems for ethnic minorities within the NHS, I feel is something to look at at another show. Yeah, at the moment, the NHS, and I mean, in general, this is how we should look at it. They're working as a whole. No one's being split by, you know, they're an immigrant or they're from a different ethnic minority or anything like that. That's their conversations that have happened in yeah. um, the recent past. Yeah. That was a narrative that was going on. Mm. But that narrative does not matter right now. Absolutely not. Uh, the focus has to be beating coronavirus. COVID-19 yeah. is the main enemy and that will only be beaten by this country working together as a whole. Yeah. And that includes the NHS. Yeah, absolutely. It needs to be a collective fight. But I think the reason for us putting this show out more than anything else was not so much for us to discuss the NHS, because we can talk about it for days about how amazing it is. But it's really to give a voice to the voiceless. We've seen and heard of so many stories with workers from the NHS over the past week or two. Um, you know, some really harrowing emotional stories on the news and different programs on TV about the severity of the situation in their respective practices and hospitals. Um, and you, you really feel the gravity of it just from small accounts from nurses and doctors and key workers. And I feel like with this show, we need to give a voice to our friends in the NHS um, because, you know, they don't even get a chance to, to speak on social media about this because they're constantly working all the time. They have no time, yeah. There's literally zero time for anything apart from getting up in the morning to go to work, 13, 14, 15 hour shifts, coming back home, sleeping and starting the process again. And we give them a clap once a week uh, on an evening night, uh, which is our way of showing gratitude. But, you know, they deserve so much more. And if we can do a small or play a small part in trying to highlight the the life that they're currently going through now and and giving them a platform to voice their thoughts, then I'll feel like we're, we're doing our part into showing them how much we support and appreciate them as well. Yeah. So the first of those voices that we want to give is someone who's probably the first port of call for all of us when mm. it comes to being in contact with the NHS. It's a GP. Mm -hmm. They're on the front line dealing with phone calls and the worries of, of their patients about whether they have just a cold or if it's, you know, COVID-19. I had the same conversation with my GP a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and they are 
having to deal with so much, the usual patients and trying to help them, but also having to get go through this process and getting and trying to help their patients through this process as best as they can. Yeah, absolutely. So this is Rashmi. Yes. And she's going to give you an insight into what life is like for her at the moment. Hi guys, my name is Rashmi. I've been asked by Sami and Jyoti to talk about my experiences working within the NHS at the moment as an NHS GP. Um, it's a very different situation to what it was three weeks ago. I could talk to you until I was blue in the face about what was going on then and now it feels very, very different. And that, I guess, is what's happening to all of our lives, regardless of what you work with them. If you're within the NHS, if you're outside of it, a lot of people are losing their jobs. There's a lot of economic concerns. So it's a completely different world that we've all entered and I think at this point in time, the one thing that I want to, I guess that I really want to say is I think we're going to get through it if we bond together as a community. You know, going back to that village mentality of looking after the people that are nearest and dearest to you in your own lives, of course, that's really important. But think about your neighbours. Think about the people that are self-isolating, that can't get bits and pieces and just drop them a note see if they need anything because you're still out and about and hopefully it'll be reciprocated. Think about starting WhatsApp groups um, within your local towns and areas, you know, just your street to see if you can sort of go, well, actually, I've got some milk. I can lend you some for now. And then when you go shopping, could you please drop some more back in? Little simple things like that is what's going to get us through. From an actual NHS perspective, like I said, things are very, very different. Um, we're all ready for that massive escalation coming. Well, I say ready, we're all preparing for it. I guess no one really knows what the numbers are going to be. I, like you, I'm, I'm watching those briefings every day. I'm hearing those numbers increase and, and it does put a bit of dread and fear into you. But I guess all we can do is try and prepare our battle stations and know what we need to do. So from a point of view, from general practice, I know that a lot of people don't think we're technically possibly frontline because we're not in the hospitals, but we are just as just as frontline as everyone else. We're going to be dealing with all the community care, with the people that not necessarily um, can go into the hospital to get to get that extra support and help. For the people that are frail and elderly, we'll be looking after those. Um, for the people that just are not suffering with COVID uh, problems or coronavirus issues, the suffering with the other illnesses that are still going to be there, that are still not going to go away. Things like appendicitis, things like, um, you know, general coughs and colds that aren't coronavirus, you know, sore toes, thumbs, everything you can think of from the small bits to the really serious bits, the cancers, all of that is still going to happen in this time. So we're still going to be as busy as we were before, but if not, more than that, trying to manage what's happening. So it's a scary time. It's a scary place. There's going to be lots of really difficult conversations that are going to come about. And I think those kind of things have sort of been touched upon when you're looking at what's been happening in other countries, uh, particularly places like Italy and Spain, where it's been talked about a bit more about how certain people potentially will not be eligible for certain treatments because of potentially what's happening with their own lives at the moment with what we call comorbidities. But also there'll be people that don't really want to go through that. They feel they've had a nice, fulfilled life and they just want to sort of, you know, peacefully go out of this world in that sort of way. So there's going to be a lot more difficult conversations that are coming. And in a sense, as scary as that sounds, sometimes it's better to be prepared. So things are very, very different to what we'd normally do. And and um, I think as much as we have to brace ourselves, so do you. In respect to sort of what, what tips I could give you, there's nothing new from what hasn't come out in the actual guidance so far, please social distance. It is so important. This is the most boring, repetitive conversation you will 
ever have to hear and I and I appreciate you'll come out of it with this sort of PTSD perhaps from hearing the same thing over and over again but it is incredibly important if it, it says two meters but actually if you can stay even further away from that you're doing yourself a favor and the person you're trying to talk to use all these social media apps zoom and whatever else there is whatsapp and you know um messenger phone calls whatever sphere you're going to use but do keep in touch with people because that's incredibly important for your mental health ensure that you are talking to your loved ones your friends make sure you are trying to get some daily air and daily exercise if you can do in a safe environment um, there's lots of really good exercise videos that have come about um, you know the very well publicized one for kids through joe wicks but otherwise there's things like les mills and sort of lots of hit workouts that are coming out that you can do at home to stay fit um, you, you can still fit those goals in that you wanted if you were trying to lose weight beforehand. It doesn't change anything. There was a guy, um, I think it was put out on, on Facebook a few days ago where he ended up doing a half marathon on his balcony because uh, he said he was going to do it and he wanted to complete it. He did 5,000 laps, I think it was. So you can achieve the goals you wanted to. Mental health is really, really key. It is really, really important. So look out for those people that are already struggling beforehand because this will really have an impact. And there's some great, great links out there for men's mental health. You've got the calmzone.net. Um, you've always got things like the Samaritans. You've got Mind. You've got some incredible apps um, on your phone, mm-hmm. things like, again, Calm, um, you've got the Headspace apps. There's so many different ones there and some of them are free right now. So just jump on those and get them. Mindfulness is really important. Think about yoga. There's all these things you can do to keep your mind and body healthy at this time. Um, if you do need to access healthcare, please think about the reasons that you're doing so and what, um, and, you know, and, and what you what you could gain from it that's really important I know that sounds very bizarre but um, if it's something that is um, urgent you mustn't sit on it and you mustn't sort of think actually I'll wait and see because if you're if, if you've got a health problem that would normally be concerning please do do contact and get help there is a lot of people that aren't going to the hospital very very late and they're very very sick not from coronavirus issues and particularly children um, it seems to be coming across and they're, they're not they're not getting to the hospital quick enough because people are worried about perhaps them catching coronavirus there but there's other things that are coming through that you potentially go, well, right now it's not something I, I would want to deal with or, or put you at risk from. So, so think about what it is. But if you're not sure, then do get on the phone, speak to a healthcare professional. They'll hopefully be able to guide you and, and discuss with you what they think is best. Um, from an Asian community po- uh, point of view, there's a lot of elderly Asian parents grandparents that potentially don't have anyone looking out for them so and part of their livelihood would have been going to the local mosques or temples or gurdwaras and losing that will have a big impact on them so think about that as well and and what things you can do i know that my local temple is doing 7.30 in the evening. Aren't these every day that people can can sort of um, connect to you on Facebook and they can, because they, they're live streaming it and they did Hovens yesterday. Um, and, and that really helped with some of my elderly Asian population that I'm looking out for. Um, I can't really think of what other things to say right now. <laughs> There's so much that I could I could wax lyrical about. Uh, but, but the bottom line is stay safe, stay home you'll protect other people by doing so it's incredibly important and um yeah social distance social isolate and just keep 
abreast of what's happening within the news. There's some really good information on the gov.uk website, uh, Corona website. If you've got specific health conditions and you don't know what to do with them, most of your um, societies, so if you say you're diabetic, look at diabetes.org and put in coronavirus. A lot of them have some up-to-date information for you to have a look at. Um, There's a lot out there. Just make sure you're going to reputable websites because otherwise anxiety and worry over the conflicting information can be very, very scary on top of the already scary pandemic. One final thing that I wanted to mention, which again is a slightly more difficult thing to discuss, but um, there are people that will be experiencing increased domestic violence, increased abuse, elder abuse, child abuse, just by virtue of being in social lockdown. Now, they do have slightly different guidance. They are able to leave the house. The problem is the perpetrator may be aware of that as well and it may restrict them from being able to do so. So if you're worried about them before, please keep an eye on them. Please keep in touch with them. And if you do have concerns, go through your local council, look online. There are safeguarding teams that are available that you can get in contact with. There are women's groups, men's groups that you can get in touch with um, who should be able to get you into the right place to be able to help those people should they need it. To sign off, look after yourself, look after your loved ones, look after your friends and just look after the fellow man that you meet on the street. In these times, even the person you don't know can become family within seconds of getting to know them. Take care. Thank you so much to Rashmi for such a detailed insight of what life's like for her at the moment. Um, just some really interesting key points for me that I th- thought stood out more than anything else in there. Mm-hmm. Um, one was the the last point she made regarding domestic abuse, which I remember we spoke about this like off record, um, you know, in a conversation we had earlier this week about. Yeah how much of an issue that's going to be, especially from people within our communities, because we've spoken about abuse and domestic abuse amongst the British Asian community in previous shows. Yeah. But now you're confined in in this way, in such an unprecedented way. For a lot of people, you know, like those few hours at school or those few hours at work are their only escape from that kind of mental or physical abuse. Yeah. And now we're all locked in. And yeah, yeah, you know, people complain about, oh, I'm really bored or, you know, or we complain about, you know, we're really tired because we've got little bobs for, you know, constantly. But that's nothing. That's I mean, there's nothing compared to what some people are going through. Mm. And like Rashmi said, if you're concerned about someone, you know, keep in touch with them. Make sure, make sure they're doing okay. Yeah. And if you're really worried about them, then there are people you can contact, organizations you can contact. Yeah. that will be able to check in on them mm-hmm. um make sure that those people know that they are allowed to go out yeah you know so even if restrictions do get a bit uh a bit stronger for the rest of us yeah. people who are vulnerable in those kind of situations will be allowed out mm. and just make sure that they know their rights in that way yeah yeah um but yeah like we just got to look out for each other haven't we yeah this is the thing it's communication in person is so difficult right now but you know, we spoke on our last show about constantly communicating with all our friends and family more so than ever. Yeah. Um, and so please do touch base with with all your loved ones. And, you know, as as a collective community, we can, you know, we can persevere through this, but it needs all of us to look out for each other. Yeah, completely. Um, so I'm just going to repeat on a couple of the websites that she mentioned, www.gov.uk forward slash coronavirus. 
um, is to see all the up-to-date information um, regarding what's happening currently with the pandemic and what you can do to uh, avert yourselves from it. Um, and in terms of things with our community, diabetes.org.uk forward slash about underscore us forward slash news forward slash coronavirus um, for more information about how those two things are linked. If you go to the main um, web page, the main website homepage, I think there'll be kind of, that's the main story on most of them. I yeah. went, I um, suffer from eczema, so I went on to the eczema website um, to find out, you know, if there's anything that I needed to do in terms of protecting my hands, because obviously we're washing our hands a lot yeah. more. My eczema's got a lot worse on my hands. Yeah. So, um, you know, like there's lots of advice out there about taking care of yourselves and what you do and what you need to avoid and what you should and shouldn't be doing. Um, I looked at the multiple sclerosis website because my dad's got MS. Yeah. Um, he has now been given his letter and said that he's not allowed out. Yeah. Um, so there, there's loads of advice out there for whatever conditions that you might need to find um, find out about. They usually do have a kind of official group or organization that you can then go and check out. Website yeah, for. absolutely. Another point that I found interesting that she brought up was the um, the well-being and the mental health. Yeah. And um, I have spoken to my GP twice, I think it is, over the last three weeks um, about how I've been feeling. And I have a regular check-in with my GP. So mm. I had that. Um, and just to kind of let them know how I was getting on. And they wanted to check how I was dealing with this situation because a lot of my anxiety comes from my ill health before while I was yeah. pregnant. Um, so they wanted to understand how I was coping. Um, and also when I was showing some symptoms when I had my cough and my sore throat and I was didn't know where it had come from, um, I spoke to my GP um, about about those symptoms but also just about the anxiety that I was feeling around those symptoms. Yeah. It was mainly the, that was the main thing that I wanted to talk to to them about. Had a little cry on the phone to the GP, mm. um, and you know, it was just talked through it and just kind of reassured. And they said, you know, if there's any any more issues, you call us back. We are here. We're still working. We're not just dealing with Corona patients. We're here doing our jobs. Yeah. And that was really, I found that very, very reassuring. Yeah. And like Rashmi says, if there's other things that are wrong, do not deprioritize those. Yeah, absolutely. If you have other health problems then get them seen to yeah. because you don't want to get to a point where it gets really serious Yeah, and and it could have been prevented. You could have not had to go to hospital for what other reason there is. Of course. So you need to get seen to because as you said, other illnesses, the ones that always happen, the ones that, you you know, the usual, they will continue to carry on, yeah. you know, whether they're mild or serious, they will continue to happen. Yeah. And especially with your kids get them seen to i know we're all worried about our kids catching coronavirus and then being vulnerable to it but if they have other issues going on we have to get them seen to yeah you know nothing stops uh in the day-to-day -day lives for people you it know. doesn't mean that everything else went on pause unfortunately exactly. and um, on the other last thing i think she i was really glad that she did touch on specifically our community um and how we're being affected more than ever it feels like there's a recent study that came out that's conducted by the intensive care national audit and research center um, from a study of over 2200 patients and it details to say that black and ethnic minorities are more vulnerable to coronavirus um, despite making up just 13 percent of the uk population a third of the patients who fall critically ill with covid19 are from black asian or minority ethnic groups 
this is obviously we've we've spoken before about you know underlying health conditions within our communities anyway um but it's actually made the severity of this situation even more so well we're more prone to heart disease and we're more prone to diabetes in both of those communities yeah so um, i guess that kind of makes sense but also maybe a slight caveat is that um a large number of people who've had it so far have been from london yeah and obviously london's a lot more diverse yes um also it's hit the midlands quite hard mm, yeah. and again very diverse yeah. so that might skew the numbers a little bit but always be yeah, wary you still have to be cautious yeah. you know this is the thing it's like you know we could we could skew things here and there but you know it doesn't take back from the you know the magnitude of this situation and um we have to remain cautious and we have to remain vigilant it's not just gps that are on the front line mm. they are a huge number of nurses who are doing an unbelievable i mean they do an unbelievable job anyway but they're doing an unbelievable job at the moment yeah. in taking to care another level yeah in taking care of patients of coronavirus of other illnesses but all working in a very stressful environment in a very scary environment yeah and um they are just doing so much great work yeah we've got 332,000 nurses and health visitors working for the mm -hmm. NHS currently all of them working flat out yeah that's crazy and still there's a shortfall mm. there is um five and a half thousand year three students from 35 different universities who've joined the NHS frontline now so they're not wow. even you know at the very end of their course but they're most of the way through yeah. so they have just been fast tracked into the NHS because there's such a shortfall and there's such a need for nurses at the yeah. moment because the ones that we have are overworked yeah and they need to be able to take some get some sleep and get you know and take the time off but also there's just this kind of ramping up that Rashmi was talking about this kind of upcoming escalation of numbers that's, that, yeah, that's expected yeah, so they're going to have to draft in lots of people they're also drafting in retired nurses the same with doctors retired doctors as well and we've seen the ads on the tv yeah you know yeah. That, that if you're an ex-professional can you please come back and you know those people if they're of retirement age will be putting themselves at risk yeah you absolutely. know because they obviously with it because of their age will just fall into that high risk group whether they have underlying health problems or not. Mm -hmm. And so they're putting themselves at own personal risk to come back and try and do what they need to do. I mean, my our own GP, my GP was meant to retire at the end of yeah. March and he's still working, <laughs> you know, and he hasn't been able to retire yet. And I remember talking to him a few weeks ago about how much he was looking forward to just resting. Yeah. And that's just not going to be possible for a lot of people now. Yeah, they've had to be e extracted also from so many different departments um across the scale uh and and having to basically almost learn new things in order to try to you know to tackle this this pandemic head on um it's it's just it feels like such a massive collective effort there's been so many kind of um comparisons to war that i've seen piers morgan keeps going on about it in good morning britain where we're fighting a war But if we're fighting a war, the soldiers aren't 
soldiers. Yeah. It's the, it's the doctors and nurses. Exactly. It's the cleaners and the porters. It's everyone who works in those hospitals and all of those kind of medical practices 100%. up and down the country that keep them running. The cleaners are, are the most at risk. Yeah. And they're the ones who are, are quite possibly have one of the most important jobs mm. because they have to make sure that nothing spreads, yeah. that things don't get worse, that other parts of hospitals stay, remain clean yeah. and safe. And it's a scary war because it's the first time that they've all been put in that position. Yeah, yeah. So next we have Kiran, who's a pediatric nurse um, in the Midlands. And she is going to tell us how things have changed for her and her day-to-day job. Hi guys, I'm Kiran. I'm a pediatric nurse based in the Midlands. I work on PICU, which specialises in cardiac surgery. Um, my unit is based opposite in an adult intensive care unit and about uh, a week or two ago we were told that we were going to transfer all of our paediatric patients out and we were going to become a temporary adult intensive care unit treating COVID-19 patients. For a lot of us this is really really scary because none of us have looked after adult patients before and looking after an adult patient is so different to looking after a paediatric patient. Um, We're also really scared of getting COVID-19 and possibly passing it on to our families and especially in the news now that we've heard that a lot of nurses are passing away, we're just just absolutely frightened. So my current situation um, up until two days ago has changed. So prior to that, I was preparing myself to looking after the adult patients um you know getting myself quite psyched up because I was quite scared about the whole thing um so I was ready to support my teammates and I was thinking right this is what I'm going to going to be one of the biggest challenges that I've faced in my life so I'm ready to I'm ready to tackle this so up until um a couple of days ago um everything was fine I was going to work and my husband received um, a letter through the post um, so basically he's got Crohn's disease and he's been told that he's classed as high risk. So I rang work, I spoke to my matron and she's basically given me two options. So one is to um, move out of the house, move, in, move into a hotel for a couple of months um, until the whole COVID-19 has died down or I can be re- redeployed to a different part of the children's hospital. I think initially, I I think I was really quite upset because I had psyched myself up so much to be dealing with these COVID-19 patients. I wanted to be there to support my team. I mean, I work with some of the best people I've ever met in my life. We're such a good team and I just felt so gutted about having to make the decision. But ultimately, my family's health comes first. My work can live without me, but I can't live without my family. So as of today, um, I've been redeployed to another part of the children's hospital. So I'm going to be working on what they call the clean wards, which hopefully none of the patients should have um, COVID-19 on it. Um, But obviously working in a hospital, there's still a high risk that I might pass someone, I might get it. But for me... I need to make sure that I'm wearing the correct PPE, I'm washing my hands and I'm getting changed out of my uniform before I get home and getting straight in the shower. Um, So my only 
advice to anybody who's listening is please stay at home. We need to get through this together. I want to be with my family. I want to see my parents soon. I want to see my cousins. Um, so please, please, please stay at home. Um, I can't wait for this whole thing to be over anyway because it's flipping pissing me off. I've had enough of this. So I think the first things I'm going to do is as soon as lockdown is over and COVID-19 has disappeared, is I'm going to go to my mum and dad's house. I'm going to give them the biggest hugs. I'm going to go see my brother and my, my sister-in-law, my nieces. And then I'm going to order every single takeout that I can possibly order. And then I'm going to go and have my eyebrows done because I'm looking like an absolute werewolf at the moment. <laughs> anyway, take care, guys. See you soon. Bye. Many thanks to Kieran there for adding some lightness amongst all the difficulty that not only she's going through, but so many other key workers uh, across the UK. It's hard decisions to make. And Kieran's my cousin. Yeah, big And up. she has two little kids mm, to look yeah. after, as well as a vulnerable husband, so a husband that comes into the high-risk category. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's a hard decision that a lot of nurses are going to have to make. A lot of health workers are going to need to make those kind of decisions. Do they move out? to keep their family safe do they ask to be redeployed you know it's it's a tough one because you don't want to see like seem like you're you know opting out of helping mm. but the nhs carries on and plus know? these are all people you know we this is the one thing that people fail to to understand is that you know all these people that work within the nhs are people regular exactly. people exactly that have the same fears as any one of us do Regarding this situation, everyone's still the unknown about it because it's just so aggressive and completely against anything we've known or seen before. And imagine, we're scared sitting at home. Yeah. They're in the hospitals. They're dealing with patients, yeah. you know, day in and day out. I'm so proud of Kieran because it's such a difficult situation to be in. She, Yes, she's had to be moved to a different ward because of her situation and her um, circumstances at home, but she's still exposed you know people on other wards are still exposed to the danger it may be unknowingly they may have patients that don't know that they're ill with that yeah. or there may be you know god forbid but there might be some cross-contamination at some point you know as an error by accident or you know with people i don't know if they still allow visitors but if the visitors are allowed into the hospitals you don't know yeah and so there's always that at the back of your mind and you know to kieran and to all the other nurses and and all the other medical staff and non-medical staff that are working on you know supposedly clean wards yeah you know you know well done just as much as all of those that are working on the COVID-19 wards as well because the danger is still there and the fear is still there but they have to overcome that fear every day to get to work whereas we get to sit at home and worry about it and feel anxious about it but they have to get they have to overcome those anxieties and go into work and do their job because people need them. People do indeed and on the other side of this break we're going to continue championing the heroes of the NHS. See you on the other side, people.
Welcome back to the second half of the Native Immigrants. This is Swami Barakas. And this is Jojo B. And we're going to continue championing the amazing work of the NHS. We heard some amazing stories in the first half of the show from Rashmi and Kiran. And we're going to continue on on this half with some more. In the first half of the show, Rashmi and Kiran talked about how things have changed for them at work as both GP and nurse, respectively, and the, the change of practice and how they're dealing with patients at the moment. Next, we get a slightly different perspective on things from Kate, who's a uh, pharmacy technician. Mm. And she talks about how she's trying to continue doing her job, but in the midst of coronavirus and the threat of that within the hospital that she works in. It's a really interesting insight that she gives us about how her day-to-day has changed. Hi, um, my name is Kate Richards. I uh, work at University College of London Hospitals um, and I am a lead research a pharmacy technician for aseptic production. Uh, first of all, I'd like to say thank you for asking me to, to speak today. Um, I hope everybody's well. Um, and I just want to, uh, I've been asked to talk about a few things to do with the coronavirus. Um, so like how I'm currently involved. Um, I'm not personally directly involved. Um, I'm based at the Macmillan Cancer Centre, which is one of the buildings as of uh, part of UCL. Um, the building's pretty much in lockdown, so only staff and uh, patients are allowed in. Unfortunately, patients can't even bring a relative with them. Um, so you are stopped before you even enter the building. You're asked while you're there. Obviously, I have an ID badge, so... Um, I, I make my way into work. Um, there's hand wash, hand washing stations everywhere. Um, so yeah, it's um, it's it's a very very different situation to say like three four weeks ago. Um, so because I'm not directly working with coronavirus or COVID nineteen, um, I'm basically working to ensure the patients. Um, who are on clinical trials, because that's what I specialise in, um, are still getting their treatments and making sure that they're getting them safely. Um, so it's all about being flexible. We've had to look at changing our working hours, if we can work from home, um, obviously because that's a government rec- recommendation, but obviously when it comes to things like drugs and preparing drugs and things like that, um, we can't work from home. We have to be at the hospital. Um just personally, I feel lucky that TfL have cancelled the congestion charge and the ULES charge and things like that has just made things a little bit easier for us to get into work. And then the councils have been really good and some of the big car parks in central London have been really good by letting NHS staff park. And uh, so that takes one one worrying thing about using public transport out 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 of the equation um so yeah so what has been my experience so far it, it has been quite stressful there's a lot of anxiety not only for the staff for the staff and also for patients there's a lot of uncertainty as well you don't know what you are going into face every day um um especially for cancer patients um they're having to weigh up with their clinicians whether them having their chemo um is beneficial versus 
the coronavirus because they're all a lot of um cancer patients are immune suppressed and not just cancer patients other patients that may be taking um, other treatments for other conditions like my I, i'm mainly involved in cancer patients but we do, i do get involved in other clinical trials for other conditions um so uh yeah there's obviously the hospital wide is they're increasing the number of wards um for COVID-19 patients um as far as I'm aware we're not at capacity yet uh but I'm sure that that is inevitable um yeah so it, it is it is quite just un, un unsettling um so what do I envisage for the next few weeks um unfortunately I think I've I've come to terms with it and I hope other people have as well that the, the numbers are going to keep going up at the moment um, and the deaths are unfortunately. We've just got to try and do our bit, whether it's you work for the NHS or whether you don't or whether you're a retail worker or whether you work in an office and you've been asked to stay at home. We just need to, to do our bit. Um, so a couple of days ago, it was mentioned in the news that clinical trials have started in many hospitals, and that does include UCL. Um, so I'm hoping that 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 will help in um in the fight against this. Um, I do think we're going to be in lockdown for for some time, whether that be for the next few weeks or whether that may maybe towards the end of May, even going into June. Um, yeah. For me personally, I'm just I'm trying not to plan too much. Obviously, I had a bit of a summer holiday planned that won't go ahead, and you know that that's fine. I'd like I'd I'd rather have a health service at the end of this. I'd rather have my family and friends um alive and well. Um, it's just something that we have to just ride out. Um. So do I have any advice to listeners? Um, I think it, it's pretty simple. Like it's been plastered all over the news, the internet. It's three little sayings. It's stay at home, protect the NHS and that will save lives. Like if you don't want to do it for you, then maybe do it for me. I don't, I don't know. It's uh, do it for your family. Do it for your older relatives. If you do not need to go out, please don't. We're coming into the summer now and, well, spring, summer, um, and it is going to get nicer. And if you have got a garden, great. Lucky you. Some of us don't. Um, so yeah, that that would be my advice, and keep following government guidance. Uh, you may not have voted this government in. There's lots of different things that, but they're the one that we've got at the moment, and they are doing a sterling job, I think, of trying to keep us all safe by trying to keep me safe at work or the nurses. I have got friends that are nurses that are having to do twelve hour shifts in their PPE we all know what PPE is now even if you didn't before um uh, uh, and just yeah please yeah just stay at home um and then I suppose I've already said that I'm not trying to look too much into the future uh, but one thing that I am 
like going to do once um once all this is over and we get back to a little bit of normality is that like, I can't wait to see my family and friends. I really can't. Like, yeah, Zoom, house party, FaceTime is, is great, but there's no, I don't think there's any substitute for just physical contact, just to hug my friend's kids or my friends or my um my dad, who um, is in his 70s, so I'm having to make sure that he's behaving himself and staying at home, but also making sure he's got everything he needs. Um, so, yeah, um, it is an unsettling time. Um, but, yeah, uh, thank you very much. Um, I hope you've um, enjoyed what I've I've said. And um, yeah, thank you very much for having me. And uh, my message is um, stay safe and stay well. Thank you to Kate for that really interesting insight of what it's like to work in a different part of the NHS, doing a job that's not a nurse or a doctor, but still incredibly vital for lots and lots of people who are suffering from cancer. Yeah. And that isn't going to stop, unfortunately. Mm nothing the other illnesses like i said before don't go on pause just because this is happening and so all of those other staff members are vital to keeping the population going yeah exactly but it also goes to show how much this current pandemic has affected across the whole scale of the nhs it's everyone is now under the mire because of it and um you know from like you said from the very top high level doctors and physicians they're all the way down the ladder and it it means everyone's had to work that much harder on their day-to-day jobs in order to get through it and they're all making the same adjustments that we're having to make so as kate said she's not seeing it as a chore to have to stay at home when she's not having to go into work you know so she's a key worker she has to go into work she can't do her job from home Mm. but at other times she's staying at home she's cancelled her holiday you know she's done all of that and she knows that that's for the greater good that that is what we have to do at the moment and we can't grumble about it you know we have to understand that this is all part of something that's much bigger than our individual wants and needs and our individual kind of minor grievances with this whole situation where, you know, you can't like, you can't go to the pub. Yeah. You know, like we've got, if we can get through this, we've got the rest of our lives to go to the pub. It's fine, but let's just get through this. And if it's not for your own sake, then do it for your parents or do it for your grandparents or your friend's grandparents or your friend's, you know, elderly brother or sister or whoever, you know, like just let's try and help each other out as much as we can by staying at home and doing what we're told by the government listening to the government advice yeah um but it's interesting you know the sacrifices that these people have to make you know we're we're talking about having to be stuck at home almost you know a lot of the time and the frustrations that can that encompass that but we're still amongst our loved ones a lot of the time you know my you know i know my parents uh are you know live away from me um but they're obviously a phone call away but i know my brother's there to look after them and but for these workers the people of the nhs like she said she doesn't get the opportunity to see her family see her friends because of the potential complications from being exposed to this virus on a day-to-day basis yeah so you're not only dealing with 
the physical exertions of having to do this day in, day out, the emotional and the mental pressure that puts on you as well into not being able to see the people you love and the people that are there to comfort you at the end of a long day shift. You know, a lot of the times you're st sometimes staying at staff quarters at hospitals. And so you're not actually seeing anyone or being around any of your family or friends. Well, so many, you know, we've heard about so many hotels giving rooms to key workers. Yeah. And can you imagine, like, I mean, yes, they might be fancy hotels and it might be nice to stay in one of those hotels, but this is the circumstance that they're not able to be with their family and friends. Yeah. That really their life is revolving around going to work and then going to sleep in a random bed yeah. and then coming back into work again. Mm. Like they're, not they're not living their lives at the moment. They are working and they are trying to get us through this. And an example of that is something that Kate mentioned, um, the clinical trials that are going on. Yeah. So at the moment in the UK, where we are doing the world's largest randomized clinical trial of potential COVID-19 treatments um, across 30, 130 NHS hospitals. Um, and it's all coordinated by Oxford University. So they're really trying to find a way out of this. They're yeah. trying to find medicines that will work and fight COVID-19 in those patients where it's really very badly affecting them. Yeah, And... Um, you know, personally, I really hope that that happens very, very soon. Um, my cousin, I found out this week, has been hospitalized in Spain. Yeah. Um, he lives out there and he's been put on a ventilator in Spain. So I think, you know, and there'll, there'll be a lot of people with that kind of situation here in this country. And if we can find some medicines that actually do work, then we're on the way to beating this thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because... You know, every day waking up and seeing my social media is just posts and family members of friends and, and followers of mine that have passed away. And it's, you know, it, it's, it, it started off with a few here and there. Now every day it just seems to be growing more and more. And, and by the end of this, someone that you know will know someone that would be affected by this. It seems to be hitting closer and closer to home. And when I found out about my cousin, I realized that there, it, like it, it's really close to home. Yeah. You know, like it's really scary to know that someone that's a very close relative of mine has has been affected by it in such a way that he's in hospital at the moment. And all we can yeah. do is just, you know, check in with his wife and hope and pray that you know everything will be all right in the end. Yeah, yeah. And you know, if if you if there's anyone out there that's going through that, then you know, thoughts are with you. Yeah, I'm still thinking about my friend Sahel Anjum, who's still in an induced coma now for two weeks after contracting the virus. Sadly, his mother passed away from the same illness um, during that period. And it's if if you can't see the severity of what's happening right now in the UK, um, then I, I don't know. It's 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 affecting everyone it'll be affecting even more people going forward i don't even feel, think we've hit the real cusp of it yet it's still a few weeks and months before that even hits i remember having a conversation with you months ago and your doctor your gp was saying that potentially by the time you get to the summer 60 percent of the uk population could contract this virus and at the time we kind of i don't know we kind of brushed it off in a way um and now it's looking like it could be an absolute reality. It just seemed really far-fetched when he was telling us about it. And, um, you know, I just, 
yeah now it's now it's it's so hard to comprehend that that could be the case still but now we're in we're kind of living that nightmare yeah of it happening it's just getting scarier and scarier by the day yeah and the you know the most that we can do is listen to all the guidelines and and do our best you know wash our hands stay at home do those things that we're supposed to be doing and we can protect ourselves our neighbors our families our friends and hopefully get over it as yeah. soon as possible but also to stay we have to stay positive we yes. have to stay the that's you know we have to stay in a positive mind frame not only for our own mental health but you know for our our friends families and loved ones um because we need to be able to spread the positivity more than any more than any other time and um you know it's the basis for doing this show is to put across a positive note for what's happening right now with the NHS and the staff and the key workers there and how much we appreciate them. And our last speaker today is Minul. Um, she is a doctor based in Northampton, but she's also a, a podcast host herself. Yeah. Um, she was actually the co-host of a podcast called The Dissy Outsiders. And I was uh, fortunate enough to link up with her one day. We decided to meet up and discuss our respective podcasts together and, you know, how we could kind of grow and spread our messages, etc. Um, and now she's actually branched off on her own. Her podcast is called Minul's World and it's out every Friday and you can catch up on new episodes on www.minulsworld.com. She even has Tez Ilias as one of her guests oh, on wow. the show. So something for everyone to check out. But she's also a doctor, as mentioned, and she details her experiences about what it's like really being on the front line. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Dr. Minol. I'm working in Northampton General Hospital. And uh, the last few weeks, as you can imagine, has been quite a, a roller coaster of emotions um, and none of us expected it to get this bad. Um, so far we've had a lot of doctors who've had to isolate, who've had to stay away from work, which has put us at a difficult position in the hospital as well. A lot of our workforce has been redeployed and removed around. So um, currently I'm working in the oncology department. So all my cancer patients who were supposed to have their treatment, um, who were supposed to have their scans and follow-ups and clinics, all of it has been just completely put on hold. And I think that's been the most difficult part for me, uh, having to tell my patients that you have to hold on to your, your, your chemotherapy and your treatment because they this was the, the last hope to, to survive and to 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 fight fight their cancer and this battle with cancer that they've had a lot of them have had them for a few years now and you know the, the ongoing treatment just helps them stay alive and spend time with their family a lot of these patients have had to self-isolate because they are in the vulnerable group um and not just the patients themselves but their families as well so this means that they if they have to come into hospital nobody can come to really visit them because then they will be leaving the house and they're putting, putting them themselves at risk as well. And especially a lot of the elderly patients as well who, who have been admitted and who, whose husbands and wives want to come and see them. But because they're elderly and vulnerable, they have to stay at home. So not only are the 
treatments getting cancelled or, or postponed or delayed, but a lot of them are going through this alone. Uh, I think that's the most difficult thing to 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 see and to explain to these people. A few days ago, I had to have a do not attempt pulmonary resuscitation decision over the phone, and that really broke my heart because you can't consult someone over the phone as as much as you would physically um, in, if they were in front of you. So we faced a lot of challenges, but not the challenges that you think that the you, what you're seeing on the media. Of course, we have the challenges of being overworked and tired and not seeing our families. They're all they're all there, but there's much more more to it um, that the media are not showing, that the public are not understanding, only because they are not working in our in our shoes. And I totally uh, I totally understand that. If you're not in our position, I wouldn't expect you to know what what's actually going on. Which is why I think having a podcast or uh, having interviews with people is so important because we're getting our our side of the story out. So it, it's kind of become a point where we're playing we're playing God. Where we decide you get your treatment or you don't get your treatment because we can only give certain people treatment now because of the capacity we have in the hospital in terms of bed space and resources. So uh, it's got to that point now where we've had to make those decisions and it's been it's been very difficult coming home after a long day of doing that puts a is very exhausting and it makes you think about your job as a doctor uh makes you question yourself as a doctor and you think am i doing the right thing am i helping people as i should but again we're we're helpless right now and we just have to accept that we're working under a system where we have to follow the rules where we have to follow guidelines and we just have to accept that. It's taken me some time to accept it. There are days where I don't want to accept it because I get angry and I feel so helpless. Um, so for any of you listening to the Native Immigrants podcast, what I would say is after all of this is over, please remember that doctors and nurses, healthcare assistants, supermarket workers, lorry drivers, this country wouldn't run without these people without these key workers in six months when you celebrate when people are celebrating the oscars when people are putting the red carpets out for these big celebrities maybe we should have that for doctors maybe we should have that for nurses um and those working in healthcare even the cleaners in the hospital deserve some respect not some respect a lot of respect um we see suffering on a daily basis this is not a new thing for us I've seen people die, I've seen people suffer, I've pe seen people even come back to be healthy when we didn't expect them to, and I've seen people turn around really quickly. I've seen all ends of the spectrum. But this is on a completely unprecedented level, unprecedented times, and none of us have the capacity to keep going for two months or three months because we will burn out. But there's a small, small part of us that just keeps us going because it's in our blood to fight. It's in our blood to fight for life. And I just want all of you to remember that in the next year, in the next two years, in the next 10 years, when you're voting for your government, when we're getting pay cuts, when you realize that doctors are not getting the, the salary they deserve or the time they deserve at home with their families, you have to speak up for us because nobody else will. 
we've been speaking up for ourselves for a long time and it hasn't hasn't done anything uh, because the government has has overpowered us. But if the public are on our side like they are now, you can see the amazing changes that that are coming around. So that's all I'll say to to the listeners that just don't forget that we do this on a daily basis. And things will get better in the next couple of months. Uh, I assume that by September, things would have calmed down. You'd be able to see your family, you'd be able to see your friends, and life will get back to normal. But you have to help us help you, and that's by staying at home and just following the government guidelines. So I hope everyone stays safe at home, and everyone just remembers that this is just a small phase, and we'll get over it. And take care, everybody. Thank you, Mino. I think she almost summed up everything that we need to say with this podcast. Absolutely. It's such a difficult and taxing period uh, for so many people across the UK, but in particular, the members and the staff of the NHS, it's unlike anything they would have seen before in their lifetimes. And, you know, with this show, I think our main purpose was to give a voice to some of our friends who work day in and day out uh, across the UK in the NHS. Um, But I feel that Everyone that's listening to the show will know someone that works within the NHS. Yeah, whether they're a friend or family member or just your local GP or, you know, someone that you have to check in with um, for a health reason. You want them all to stay safe amongst all of this craziness that's going on. Yeah. And um, also to maintain that positivity that mental ended with yeah. with you know it we will get through this and it will get better it's gonna be hard in the short term yeah but in the long term we'll come out the other end of this and we'll and it will be okay yeah yeah absolutely um a couple of shout outs um from some of our friends and listeners um nina wanted to shout out her cousins anik who's a doctor at northwick park atish who's a pharmacist and upma who's also a pharmacist um everyone's going through a tough period right now and she wanted to show some love for her family and also from keeks who says her heart goes out to all the key workers on the front line dealing with people in person daily hashtag thank you frontliners but it's recently emerged that nurses and frontline health workers are now being offered grief counseling and psychological support with the loss of more nhs lives anticipated and this whole show is really dedicated to all the members and the staff of the NHS, but in particular, those who have sadly lost their lives in, in helping patients to fight coronavirus themselves. Our condolences to all their families and their loved ones during this very, very difficult period. And for all those who have a friend or a family member or a loved one that's currently suffering with this illness, our thoughts, our prayers and our well wishes um, wholeheartedly go to you. Um, You know, stay positive. We will get through this together. Um, It is a difficult period, but we shall persevere. Right. Well, that's the end of this week's episode of the Native Immigrants. Thank you, NHS, for everything. Stay home, stay safe, save lives. This is Swami Barakas, 
And this is Jojo B. And we'll see you all next week, people. Peace. See you.